0: In Chapter 5, we introduce uh, your partner to a study on the Holy Spirit and our relationship to the Holy Spirit. And uh, as we get started in this, we have moved from, in our last uh, session, learning the books of the New Testament to learning the books of the Old Testament, at least the first half. And they're expected to come to this meeting with those ready. Now, I know the verses are very important. We want them to memorize the verses. We have two verses for them to learn, very short ones, in Chapter 5, but uh, far more important even than that for just getting around in the Bible is making sure that they memorize those books of the Bible in order and that they have those down and that you can make sure there's some competency in that so you might even want to review at the beginning of chapter 5 the New Testament books that they can say the books from Matthew to Revelation I know we teach our kids that but a lot of times as adults we we don't learn and we don't get them down and then we struggle in church to turn or we struggle just looking up verses so uh, we want to make sure that in the first half of the Old Testament that we're gonna uh, have them recite this time that we really are, uh, we're sticklers about it. We get to the place where we make sure that they know those and they have them down cold and that they can recite them. And then of course we want them to pick up these two short verses from Galatians 5 that they can recite them and then we can get in uh, to dealing with the material in the chapter. Now I know that the, any discussion on the Holy Spirit can be, um, can be controversial. Now we're gonna be dealing with the spiritual gifts in chapter eight and um, we'll deal with the debates there and try and walk through some of those issues of the miraculous gifts and then the ongoing gifts of empowerment in the church and church ministry. But in this chapter, we wanna deal with our relationship with the Holy Spirit. So I think the danger here is for many people that they see the relationship with the Holy Spirit almost as the whole whole entirety of their Christian life. In other words, the Bible becomes less important. Their feelings and how they feel the Holy Spirit is leading them uh, becomes of paramount importance. And we want to make sure that in this chapter as we go through it, we avoid some of these subjective approaches to the Christian life and we make sure that we constantly remind them throughout this chapter that the Holy Spirit who dwells within us is certainly going to lead us within the confines and the direction of the book that he wrote, the, the Bible. So uh, we don't want to set these two up in opposition to one another. We want to show throughout this chapter how they work in harmony. And the first thing we want to deal with is the nature of the Holy Spirit and who he is. This isn't a force. We want to avoid the, the uh, error, the heresy of modalism, which we dealt with early in, in the Partner's Manual, chapter two, we talked about that, that the unique person of the Holy Spirit Uh, of the triune Godhead is the uh, direct contact that we have. So you may want to revisit some of the material on the Trinity. You may need to go through that as you prepare uh, for chapter 5. You want to go back to chapter 2 and look through all of that and make sure you're comfortable uh, talking through that. And then when we talk about the Holy Spirit we understand that God uh, dwells in in heaven. That's how he's described in the Bible. Uh, He is spirit of course but he dwells in heaven. He knows all but he is, uh, is pictured there. And then the Jesus Christ, our Savior, is at the right hand of God. He is ascended to heaven. And the whole point of the uh, the discourse that, that Christ gives in the upper room about the Holy Spirit coming is that the Holy Spirit would be our present uh, contact with the triune God, that he wouldn't leave us as orphans, you might remember him saying, and that the Holy Spirit, uh, who is co-equal with God, is God. He will be uh, our daily contact. He will not uh, leave us Uh, He will not forsake us, and when Christ says, I'm with you always to the end of the age, he is so uh, by uh, and in uh, his ministry, the ministry, I should say, of the Holy Spirit, uh, that we have daily contact, daily relationship with God through the person of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 5, we try to theologically uh, address the distinction between the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the promise of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and we tackle that by kind of um, articulating by articulating the distinctions that we see in the Bible Uh, first we want to talk about it in terms of being a new covenant relationship with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament obviously the Holy Spirit was active Uh, he was involved in all that was going on uh, in terms of his people in particular and empowering people for ministry uh, but there was clearly something looked forward to in the New Covenant age, that there would be a kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit that would be different than it was in the Old Testament. Uh, and a few things have changed. One is the, uh, is the permanence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, that is different. You can remember in the Old Testament we read passages uh, about King David saying in the midst of his sin that uh, he was praying that he that the Spirit would not leave him. Uh, and, and, and those are the kinds of things that we want to clarify, the distinction between the Spirit empowering the King of Israel, uh, and and perhaps uh, as it does in Saul's life, coming and going, that as it, re- as it relates to New Testament Christians, the Holy Spirit is present permanently Uh, It it is an internal relationship. The distinction there is made in the New Testament. We'll study those verses where the uh, relationship is described as close, uh, that the Spirit is with us, but something changes in the New Covenant relationship with the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit is described to be in us. And that distinction is uh, is critical in that it relates to not only the permanent residence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but also the kind of intimacy that the Spirit is gonna have with forgiven, adopted children of God. So we wanna talk through that relationship in those terms before we ever get to how do we relate to God's Spirit uh, in a practical sense. And just thinking through those distinctions can help a lot because we can oversimplify uh, the Bible in thinking it's all the same between covenants And uh, on the other extreme, we can think the Holy Spirit wasn't present, active, or doing much of anything in the lives of the saints of the Old Testament, which of course is not true. So we need to try and uh, understand this, to rightly understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Though it may be um, new to some, for us to look at the biblical data as it relates to the Holy Spirit's relationship to non-Christians is important, particularly as it relates to us before we were uh, converted to Christ. And it is important to see in the Bible how the Spirit of God is active uh, in uh, convicting people even as they hear the gospel working through the preaching uh, in the lives of non-Christians before they become Christians. That's so helpful in so many ways, particularly for those who grow up in the church. Uh, They may have a lot of of, of their story of being uh, involved in the church. Uh, They look at uh, a lot of those uh, incidences in their lives where they sense the conviction of the Spirit or the work of the Spirit, or the protection of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and uh, they have a hard time reconciling that with the possibility of being a non-Christian if indeed there were those times uh, where we had some sense of the Spirit's work in our lives. We need not write off our non-Christian life as something devoid completely of the Holy Spirit. There's plenty of biblical passages that give us a sense of how the Holy Spirit may work, may even prepare people uh, for whatever God will use them for in their Christian lives before their conversion. So that's an important distinction to make. But then as I do right before that section ends in partners, we try to make it clear though that all that pre-conversion work of the Holy Spirit will lead to conversion, considering that the person uh, we're talking about is a Christian, and that then is a uh, change in the kind of relationship that we see, much like the difference between Old Covenant uh, ministry, of the Holy Spirit, and New Covenant, in that the Spirit may be working on us, may be working uh, with us, but then at some point we become Christians and the Holy Spirit invades our lives and the Holy Spirit then takes up permanent residence in our lives. That distinction is a big one and it's an important one for us uh, to recognize so that we don't write off how uh, someone's experience prior to their conversion uh, was you know, devoid of the Spirit. May not obviously, I, just that it may not, it would not uh, be true really for any non-Christian. Uh, God is doing some things in preparation for conversion and then at conversion, permanence in dwelling, and then that relationship uh, begins in a new kind of way. And that's what a lot of what the rest of the chapter is all about. Well, many books could be written on, and they have been written on, the role of the Holy Spirit. In our chapter, we're just gonna highlight uh, and have our partner work through a section that's going to highlight the role of the Holy Spirit in in making us holy. Clearly, the Holy Spirit wants us to be holy. Uh, The scripture talks so much about our sanctification and driving us to be holy people, and so much of what he does, and certainly what we underscore in this chapter, has to do with us uh, becoming more like Jesus Christ. So the Spirit's work, from this point in the chapter on, is going to be dealing with the Holy Spirit's role in uh, making us more like Christ, allowing us, empowering us, helping us to put uh, sin out and down, and, and, and putting to death the deeds of the flesh, and becoming more like Jesus Christ. In the next section, we begin a lengthy part of the, of the chapter in dealing with how the Holy Spirit wants to make us holy. And clearly, in the first section, we uh, first subsection of this part, we deal with His uh, desire to have us be people of the book, people of God's Word. Uh, the Holy Spirit, one of the main things that he has done is he has uh, been the agent of of having the Word of God, God breathed, and in inscripturated, in, uh, in I like to say. Uh, he has put God's words on paper and has guided that process through the pen of the Apostles and Prophets, and his desire is in the Scripture to have us respond rightly to his Word. Clearly the Spirit is going to lead us to read his word, to understand his word, to get us to, uh, to comprehend what he has inscribed in black and white uh, in the pages of, of the scriptures. So uh, a big, big part, and the starting point for any view of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is not going to go astray, it has to begin with how the Spirit wants us to be people of God's word. It's, he's going to lead us there, he's going to have us understand it, he wants us to be people that are good students uh, of, of the truth of God's word and practically speaking, beyond being in the Word, he is going to, when we're not actually reading the Word, uh, and sometimes not even thinking of the Word of God, but we're living out our daily lives, he's gonna call our minds back to the Word of God when our behavior in some way contradicts it. Uh, That's what I deal with in a section that, that talks about the conviction of the Spirit. Uh, And though this is a subjective feeling that we have, it is credited in the Bible to be the work of the Spirit. Much like when we come to understand uh, the gospel and and the guilt that we have regarding our own sin, God continues to do that in the Christian life when the Spirit of God uh, works in concert with our spirit and our conscience and brings that pang of conviction when something we're thinking, something we're about to do, or something we've just done uh, is not in keeping with the truth of what God has written. He's going to bring that conviction to our lives and the Spirit's gonna work actively in our lives uh, to point out where our feet step off the path of uh, of God's truth. So uh, that's a big part of it and we should always be sensitive to that work in our hearts. Uh, It's a lot like our conscience uh, as non-Christians. It's that real, what I sometimes call it, it's like our conscience on steroids. It's a very heightened sensitivity uh, in our own hearts because of the presence of the Holy Spirit Uh, to when we do things that we should not do, what the Bible tells us we shouldn't do, or when we fail to do what we ought to do. And any Christian clearly can testify to that experience that we have when the Holy Spirit just brings that uh, conviction to our heart, tightens our chest, whatever it might be where we know this is not right, this is not what God would have us do. And often he'll lead our minds back to to the scripture in our own mind, maybe a verse we've memorized, maybe just a concept in the scripture that will convict us that what we're doing is is not right or what we're contemplating doing uh, we should not do and we should always respond quickly Uh, to that. The sooner the better. I mean, the worst part of uh, the worst parts of our Christian life are when we ignore those initial pangs of conviction that the Holy Spirit brings that's in concert with our conscience and uh, that we we need to respond as soon as possible to that. And so to talk about that and even to get specific with your partner as to the kinds of things that uh, have been convictions in their hearts, how they can see that it's more than just their upbringing, their culture, the expectation of others, but those kinds of things uh, that they could easily get away with no one would ever know about but their conscience uh, more than that the Spirit of God I should say uh, brings that kind of conviction that uh, goes beyond anything they've experienced as non Christians good for us to talk about that to identify that uh, and just to recognize that as part of the fruit of the Spirit of God working in our lives besides just the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the next couple of pages I start to deal with the promptings of the Holy Spirit uh, and that is um, I know very controversial, and we need to be very careful in this section, but there is in the Bible, as I try to list there, the many passages uh, that deal with something beyond just the restraining of our behavior, but the encouragement of our behavior. Uh, When the Spirit is uh, uh, said to be in the scripture prompting us to to move forward to to do this or that. I'm not talking about the supernatural Visions or revelations that come to the Apostles and the prophets in the Bible I'm just talking about those passages of scripture where there's that sense of God uh, Prompting us to do this or that and our, our interpretation of that is never infallible We can never have that confidence that uh, this is for absolutely sure uh, the, the the prompting of God's Spirit, but I do think we would be um remiss if we just completely ignored these passages that seem to be normative for the Christian life uh, that aren't supernatural revelation uh, but simply much like the conviction of God's Spirit uh, that encouragement It could be in situations where even the Word of God that calls us to evangelism comes to mind in a conversation with a non-Christian. Happens many times to us as Christians where we have that reminder of the truth of God to do something that we ought to do. And it is not a conviction of sin, but it's a, a prompting to do what is right. And uh, so we need to be very careful in this. And a lot of people go around saying, well, God told me this and God told me that. We're not advocating anything like that. But what we are doing is trying to, in our own relationship with God, recognize that God, the author of God's word, is going to try to get us in practical situations to live out that word uh, in, in, in real time in our lives. So this is an important part that cannot be extrapolated into something that uh, has degenerated in a lot of Christian circles into God told me this or God told me that or come to other people and say God told me to tell you this. We want to avoid all of that Uh, and we want to know how limited we are sometimes in even interpreting and and recognizing what's uh, prompting of the spirit or our conscience or maybe uh, even just the expectation we think someone else has on us. But I do think we'd be remiss just to neglect it all. We need to look at these texts, and I, I give you several in this section to look up. Uh, they're non-supernatural, non, uh, they're, they're, they're texts of scripture that should at least give us uh, that sense of, of responsiveness uh, when, when God's word, God's truth, principles from God's word are brought to mind that are not restraining behavior but encouraging behavior. So we need to give attention to that, definitely. At one point near the end of the chapter, I give you a chart to build uh, that's based on Galatians chapter five. And I think this is helpful in in knowing that the resident person of the Godhead in our lives uh, has a list of desires. Uh, He he wants to see the truth and he wants to see uh, biblical godly virtue uh, accomplished in our lives. And and it's contrasted and compared with the desires of the flesh, the things that uh, we desire as fallen human beings. And so putting those side by side and, and looking at those can also give us uh, some help in recognizing how the Spirit is going to prompt and convict. That can be helpful, I think, in just giving us that sense of desire of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do what's right. I mean, that whole passage ends, verse 24, with uh, you know, putting to death these deeds of the flesh, putting them away, not doing them, and, and walking by the Spirit or as some translations say, in step with the Spirit, to know what the Spirit wants, and seeing how, even in our daily lives, how those kinds of desires we can anticipate from within us are going to be things that uh, are going to encourage and prompt and convict us. And and, and that's just helpful in knowing and separating, uh, as we contrast those two lists, the desires of my fallen selfish flesh and the desires of God's Holy Spirit. In the chapter and this uh, lengthy extended section on following the Spirit, with two things that I think are uh, critical and important to rounding out this whole idea of following uh, the Spirit or being led by the Spirit, and that is circumstances and godly counsel. Circumstances, uh, we see in several passages that I have the partners look up, uh, several examples of how the Spirit of God is orchestrating circumstances to be part of His. Uh, his his leading process in our lives. Clearly, he's at work providentially in uh, the circumstances that guide and direct, and there's some great texts there for you to look up and to interact with with your partner. And then I end with uh, just the importance of godly counsel. The Holy Spirit is involved in more than just my life, of course, and when I'm facing a difficult decision or I'm facing any kind of crossroads in my life, to be able to confide in another Christian or two uh, with a small group of Christians and just talk about those and see how God's spirit works through their wise counsel to bring to, to my mind uh, kind of a full-orbed pic- picture of what uh, would be best for me to do and to walk forward with some confidence that I'm not just going this on my own and I'm not just thinking through this by myself, but I'm allowing other Christians to do the work of the body of Christ to help me determine what would be the wisest path for me to walk. So that all rounds out that uh, that section on on responding to the spirit. Those two are important, though I didn't give them a lot of time in this training video. It's, it is critical that uh, those be discussed and that we try to identify how God has used circumstance in, in the life of our partner to guide and direct and redirect. And also maybe even to list some names of some godly Christians in your partner's life that your partner can go to, hopefully you are one of those people, uh, that they can go to to try to bounce off some of those tough decisions in the Christian life where we're trying to seek uh, God's best and, 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 and the wisest course for us to take. At the Very end, I list several books. Some of these may uh, get a little bit ahead because we are gonna deal with some of the controversy about spiritual gifts in chapter eight, but at least it will uh, give some resources for your partner to uh, to go further in some of that if they're ready to now, or at least as they go back to this topic and chapter later, they can dig into some of those books. Uh, it's a section where there haven't been a lot of great books, in my opinion, uh, that have kind of spelled all these things out in one place, but I think if you put all of those resources together and look through the titles, uh, it can certainly satisfy and, re- and answer a lot of the questions that do come up in this chapter, and that's always a great way to end, to refer your partner not only to the next chapter to start working on, but maybe to uh, direct them to one of the books on the list that you think may uh, answer some of the questions that were brought up in in the chapter. So I hope this is a helpful chapter for you and your partner, and I hope it's a great catalyst for a lot of discussion that can be profitable as we seek to respond rightly to the indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives.